0: to psalm 34 again this week part two of psalm 34 where uh, king david is reflecting on some challenging experiences in his life perhaps written when he was king uh, or sometime before that in fact the events are toward the end of the time uh, when he was not king leading up to him becoming king so we're not sure when it was written but we do know that it's a reflection on the season of his life when he was utterly alone and on the run, fearing, in fact, for his life from King Saul. The text in the Bible for that is in 1 Samuel 21 if you want to check that out sometime. But here in Psalm 34, David is drawing on those experiences and and the God-given insight that he has And he can't help, as he reflects on those things, he can't help but make much of God and the good work that God has done in his own life. And what David does then is want us all to take part in that. He's inviting us into the same joy in that same experience. And the question for us today is then, well, how do we join in? What is required of us? How does that happen how do we even begin to get some of the enthusiasm that we see in this psalm from David? Well, the thing is that if like David, if you realize the Lord is making a difference in your life, as he talks about here in especially verses 1 through 10, if you realize the Lord is making a difference in your life that he's at work for good in all of your experiences, then that's going to make a difference in your life. And we looked a good bit at that last week. And as we look at it this week, you don't need to know much about what we said last week, but go back and check it out if you missed it. But the, the overarching idea that the Lord is at work for your good in all things is what then empowers this passage, that, we, that that reality would make a difference. And the difference it would make shows up in two ways, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Two key ways that God working makes a difference and motivates you and I. So let's look, we'll see those in detail as we look at Psalm 34. We're going to start reading in verse 8. But our focus this week is going to be verses 11 to 22 in particular. So please read with me God's word. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, who is the man who desires life and loves lengths of day, that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps them, all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is God's word. Lord, we thank you for it. We pray You would open our ears, our eyes, our hearts, that these words would be much more than ink on paper, pixels on a screen, sound waves bouncing off of our eardrums. Lord, that they would be life-giving, life-transforming truth to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the background of Psalm 34, uh, as we've seen and talked about a couple of times, is that life experience of David before he's become king, toward the end of that season leading up to him becoming king. And during that season, and we don't have time to dig into this, it's a really interesting story. I'd encourage you sometime this week, maybe go back and read that passage in uh 1 Samuel 21. But during that season, David made some wise decisions. You know, he, he had Jonathan, Saul's son, find out what Saul's desire was toward David. And when, when he found out that Saul was trying to kill him, David left. He, he removed himself from the scene as Saul's mental condition deteriorated. So David made a wise decision. Late, not long after that, moments after that, hours, we don't know, a day or so at most, he made a foolish decision where he, he took the sword of Goliath, the giant that he killed, right? Very distinctive sword, big sword from a big guy. He took that sword into the homeland of Goliath, Goliath of Philistine, and he, David went by himself all alone with that sword into that enemy land and wound up having to act insane, to spare his life. You might say, well, that seems kind of foolish. But throughout that season, however you assess those, the way David assessed it is, not whether he was wise or foolish. I'm sure he made those judgments in his own heart. But ultimately, what he's saying in Psalm 34 is, what happened was, God was at work. That God spared him through all that. He doesn't give himself the credit. He says, God was good. He delivers. He saves. He rescues. Sometimes that's from enemies who attack us, and sometimes it's from our own foolishness. But that is who God is. He's at work for your good all the time. And so David connects those experiences to God and and, and to life and how things turned out and why they turned out that way. And he draws that connection from all of those things to them. There's a better future. In the short term and in the long term, for those who know the Lord. For those who are interested in His will. For those who will listen to Him and fear Him, as he puts it here in our passage. And he wants not just those close to him to benefit from that. David wants everyone to be a part of that joy and to have that better future, that hope for the future. And it's in those first 11 verses just you know, contagious. He's just, let us exalt the Lord together. I will praise Him all of my days. This, this joy is overflowing and he wants you and I to enter into it. And so the question is, well, how how do we enter into that joy? How do we begin to get that enthusiasm? There's one word, and I'm going to break it down into two components. And the one word is very simple. It's very scary. But listen to it carefully. The Lord is always at work for your good. So you need to commit to doing good work for the Lord. The one word is commit. Commit commitment. Give yourself over to the God who is working for your good. And the way David unpacks that in our passage today, the way we're going to look at it, is that commitment is about peace and perseverance. It's about seeking peace, pursuing it, he says, and about persevering, enduring, no matter the circumstances or how long you have to wait. Those are the two aspects, two, two main categories we're going to look at of commitment that lead us into a place of joy and of hope for the future. So let's look more closely at that. First of all, what is it about pursuing peace that he's talking about here? Well, first of all, it's, it's a path to life. Pursuing peace is a path to life. Look at verse eleven. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves lengths of days that he may see good? Who is that? He says is that you know if you want to have life, if 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 you want to prosper. If you want it to go well with you, he says, fear the Lord. Listen carefully here to how how you get that. Verses 13 and 14 say the way you get there is by avoiding a lot of little deaths. Verse 13, keep. There's five commands here, by the way. And they're all kind of clustered around our attitudes and actions toward other people. So the way of pursuing peace has to do with actions and attitudes toward other people. Look what he says. Verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. You know, guard your tongue. Watch your tongue. Verse 14: Depart or turn from evil and do good. So rather than doing bad and harm, do good. And what is positive, he says, then, seek peace and pursue it. Seek, uh, the word there speaks often of a desire that leads to action. Not merely just intellectual knowledge, but a a motivating power. Seek peace. And then the, the image of pursuing it. That it's in front of you and you're following after it. That you want peace. That's what you desire. That's what you're moving toward. And when he speaks of peace, and I don't know, you know what that conjures in your mind, but what you need to know from a biblical perspective is that peace is about much more than just an absence of conflict. Okay? Peace is about more than just not having war. Peace as a concept, as one uh, scholar puts it, is about completeness, about wholeness, about harmony, fulfillment. He says those come closer to the meaning. Implicit in shalom, that's the Hebrew word for peace, is the idea of unimpaired relationships with others and fulfillment in one's undertakings. The idea of peace is, is, is this kind of uh, vibe. You know? It's, it's, a, it's having things right. Not just with God, but with other people in your relationships. And even there's this sense of, of just having fulfillment in what you're doing with your life. Having a sense of meaning and purpose. You know, that... That's what you're pursuing when you're pursuing and seeking after peace from a biblical perspective. But then you think about how how do we often live, right? You know, if you think about the, the things he's emphasizing here, especially with keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit, is that not hard to do? Does anyone drive? You know, what, what comes out of your mouth, you know, when, when someone cuts you off or someone flies by you, you know, the, the things that come out of our mouths, you know, we, we often burn people down. You know, we tear people down rather than pursue wholeness in that relationship. Think about that. What, what comes out of our mouth is either going to build us up and, and bring us together or it's going to lessen the relationship. It's going to undermine our harmony. And that's, that's if we're seeking peace, we're going to be seeking harmony in, in relationships, right? Especially among God's people. But I don't think it's just limited to that. Which doesn't mean we go along with sin. Don't hear me saying that, right? But there's a lot of room between condoning what someone's sinful actions are and living in some form of harmony with them. And that, brothers and sisters, is a huge challenge in our culture today. Right? We, Lord willing, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks when we look at Psalm 36. But here's a, here's a little foretaste of that. That that one of our main challenges is that we actually don't know how to disagree well. Right? We... we, we in all of our talk for decades of tolerance, we have totally lost the idea of what it means to respect someone who has a different view than you. And that goes, I don't care right or left or middle. I don't care your ethnicity in the West and throughout the world, it seems. And if you look then at this text and what he's saying, that our, the air that we breathe in our culture today Undermines our ability and probably our motivation to do what would lead us to life, to do what would lead us to joy and to hope, and instead drags us down while we drag other people down. You know, we looked at James a couple of months ago. Do you remember what he said about the tongue? Man, it's a restless evil. Who can tame it? We can tame all kinds of beasts, but we can't control the tongue. It's just a small spark and it sets the world on fire. The the, the harsh words come out quickly. The sarcasm flows without effort. The road rage boils over into our mouths and into our actions. And how much better would the world be? And even just our small portion of it, if if we did a better job with our words and brought to mind the goal of pursuing peace. Man. What it, what, what it seems like the main problem here in the psalm that is that we... What's driving our problem with tongue, with words, is that our ultimate commitment by nature... And and by peer pressure, and by everything that we read and are told and consume, right? It all says the number one commitment is us individually and perhaps the people that we like. Our people, however we want to define that, right? That's our primary commitment. And it's only by grace that we can begin to move out from there. It's a very scary place to go. If I don't look out for myself, if I begin to care for other people, it's very possible I will be taken advantage of. Or even worse, today in our climate, that my people will begin to think I'm one of those people. Just reading recently about that, it's a huge barrier of why we don't see compromise happening In the federal government and in other places as well, is because there's a fear of hanging out with each other and getting to know one another and the kind of relationships that have some harmony within them, that have some peace within them. You can't have those relationships because the people on your team will use that against you to say you're a compromiser and they'll win the next primary and you'll be out of office. It's a stifling, deadly environment. And it trickles down, brothers and sisters, into our own lives. How many friends do you have who are of the other party? How many friends do you have who have different views on hot button issues? Hmm? Probably not many. One of the beautiful things about us though is is that we do have such a diversity of backgrounds and educations and resources and everything else that, that we have a lot more diversity than so many people. Right, praise the Lord for that. That's one of the other things you can praise God for: is that you're in a community now. Are you taking advantage of it? Right? Are you listening to other people? You know, are we really engaging and hearing? And crossroads in the summer is a great opportunity for that. Just sit at a table with somebody you don't know. You know, somebody whose background's a little different. You just like talk. Where'd you come from? What's your story? Listen, get to know each other. You know, that that's 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 moving toward harmony. That's that's breaking down the barriers to peace. Because the real problem is that that we are too often committed to ourselves when God is calling us to commit to Him. To glorify God first and foremost. No matter what we do, whether we eat or drink or all that we do, do it to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it, right? That's that's so necessary. It's the only way we're going to move into this peace is putting God and His will first. Now, it really helps to know as we do that, right? One of the things that we need to know is that He is working in those circumstances for our good. That we can put Him first because He's always going to be putting what's best for us first. We don't have to worry about that. If He says do this, it's what's best. If He says do that, it's what's best. If He says don't do that, it's what's best. If He says do do that, It's what's best. He's always working for what's best for you. And He calls you. In other words, He's committed to you. And He calls you to say, look at how I have interacted in your life and now what are you going to do? What difference is that going to make to you? Are you going to put me first, God says? Because the thing is, if you look at verse 15 and 16, He's with us if we try to do what's right by His definition. And He's against us if we don't. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, those who seek to do what's right before God and others. And His ears are open to their cry. Ask Him for help. Ask Him for relief. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against evildoers, or those who do wrong, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So if you, if you put those to heart, that God's at work you know, for your good and all your circumstances, and, you, and you're willing to commit to put him first, a way to reinforce that and the way to move toward a lifestyle of peace is to rehearse that God has been good to you. Right to to find that place that David did that says you know I was wise I was foolish through it all God was good right to to rehearse those things as you know we talked about last week thinking about three things you can praise God for this week right and consider sharing those with someone and if you get in that habit of rehearsing those things this gratitude for all the goodness that God has done and the habit of identifying it you're, you're going to hold much less tightly to yourself, and you're gonna be much more open to serving and helping other people, of of pursuing peace no matter the cost. You'll prioritize him as you build this habit of praising him for what he's already done. It's not only a, a good motivation, To seek peace, but it's also the motivation to persevere. That's our second point. Commitment to the Lord is about peace, seeking peace, and it's about perseverance. Which is this, knowing that the Lord will save, rescue, whatever word you want to put in there, but not knowing how soon That's perseverance. Knowing the Lord is going to rescue, but not knowing how soon or when. If you look at verses 17 and 18 and 19 here, it's so clear. the, The righteous cry and the Lord hears. Verse 17 continues. He delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. Those are certain promises, right? God's going to save, deliver, rescue out of the afflictions, out of the heartbrokennesses, out of the crushed spirit situations. So you can persevere in that. But notice what that means. Contrary to what you often hear from prosperity gospel preachers and TV preachers too often, that there's no guarantee about when it's going to end. Just that it will end. The bro- God's people, He says, experience broken hearts and crushed spirits verse 18 the lord is near to the broken hearted and saves those crushed in spirit a shattered heart dreams hopes broken crushed spirit the sense of that is like pulverized it can mean dust you know those those who are just utterly broken same word is often translated those who are contrite. Uh, in King James, you know, Psalm 51, the contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. That brokenness. Sometimes it's brokenness over our sin and our, our mistakes. Sometimes it's crushed by people oppressing and taking advantage of regardless of the circumstances and what's happening in there, the, the righteous, God's people, those who are seeking to do what is right, are going to experience those things. And the question is, not if you will be rescued, but when? How long? And that is the cry in the Psalms. At least a dozen times, if you search through the Scriptures, in the Psalms, at least a dozen times, the psalmist cries out in one form or another, How long, O Lord. Read through Psalm 13 for just one example in the first two verses. He says that four times. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? How long? And you know how many answers are given? I don't think any of those are answered. With a timeline, with a two more days. They're answered with the promises that however long it is, God is working for your good in all of those circumstances. And the length of those circumstances varies according to God's will. And so sometimes someone has a shorter suffering experience, someone has a longer experience. Sometimes someone has more intense, more horrible sufferings than other people whose sufferings are relatively less. And the root bottom line answer is that those things for that person and those things for that person and these things for this person and these things for that person, those are all working about what God has decided is best and good for that person. And it's not ours to judge what he's doing. Very often it's working on our character, we can say that, right? Very often it's equipping us for something in the future. And sometimes we just will never know this side of glory, why that happened. Being among a people from so many different places, so many refugees in this body, I have heard of horrible things you guys have been through. And you can't explain it. But what, I, what I'm so encouraged to hear is so often, but God is good. But I have seen God's faithfulness. That God rescued me and I believe He will in the future deliver me. That He is faithful and good. One commentator put it this way on the subject of suffering and how long. He said, the fear of the Lord is indeed the foundation of life. The key to joy in life and long and happy days, but it is not a guarantee that life will always be easy. He continues, it may mend the broken heart, but it does not prevent the heart from being broken. It may restore the spiritually crushed, but it does not crush the forces that may create oppression. Dr. James Boyce of 10th Pres, years ago, said very succinctly Deliverance is one thing, exemption from trouble is another. God will deliver, but He doesn't exempt us from affliction. And the problem we have is what? How long? It always takes too long, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like it's way too long? in the moment, in the days, in the weeks, the months, the years that you have to endure, the trial, the suffering, the struggles. But afterward, God's promise is that afterward, when you have endured, it will have been for your good. Teresa Avila said centuries ago, In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Think about that. The worst sufferings on earth will be no more serious than one night in a bad hotel. That is the perspective. That God is working these things for your good. And that in the end, in the ultimate end it is going to be so much better that these things are going to pale by comparison and that only comes as you commit to the lord right you're not going to experience that perspective until you commit to the lord in, in your circumstances to say you know what i'm going to seek peace and and I'm going to persevere. By God's grace, I am committed to Him. And, and no matter how long it takes. And you might say, well, you know, how, how can that motivate me? How do I know for sure God is going to deliver? That God is going to rescue? Yeah, He's done this and He's done that. He did that. He did this for you and that thing for you. And well, ultimately, the great confidence we have is that if you look at the promises of God, they are all they're all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And if you look in particular at these, these things he's speaking of in this passage in Psalm 34, that the Messiah will heal the brokenhearted, Isaiah 61:1 says. The Christ will heal those who are brokenhearted. Isaiah 53, 5 and 10 both say that the Messiah, the Christ, was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The discipline and correction necessary for our peace with God and with each other fell upon Him, Isaiah 53, 10 says. In the New Testament, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 13 and following that, that the Messiah, the Christ, is our peace and brings reconciliation. That God is working all things for good in the circumstances we find ourselves, no matter for how long. And the great confidence we have in that is that He said He would do that in the life of Jesus. To bring about our deliverance and Jesus Himself came down in the flesh, united Himself to humanity, God and man together, that He might live that out, that He might be crushed, that He might experience the rejection, and the shame, that he might remain of the power and the guilt of sin until it was finished. And he might rise victorious from that grave. That we might have a hope and a future. That God did that. As God has done so many things in the past, as He has done in your life, that we would believe that God is at work in all things For our good, that he is faithful. You know, when you invest money, right? Disclaimers, or when you hear like an ad for investments and stuff, it's it's always got that line that past performance is not an indicator of future. If if you bought cryptocurrency in the last year or two, you know that, right? Oh, it's going great. Bitcoin. Poof. That's not God. God's not going to change. God has demonstrated over a way longer period of time than, than the New York Stock Exchange. That He's always, 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 always going to work for your good. From creation To the end and the new beginning. That's who he is. And if you'll grasp that, if you'll believe it, if you'll put that into practice, seeking peace and persevering, you're going to find that. And it'll be reinforced in your heart. And you will transform whatever community you're in. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy that You you are faithful. Thank You for working peace on our behalf, for persevering the cross and everything leading up to it. Thank You, Lord, that You are working that same character in us as, as we seek peace and are frustrated as we try to persevere and feel like giving up, You are at work making us more like Jesus and showing us that we still need You. So would You meet us? Build us up. Oh Lord, heal the broken hearts. Put back together those crushed in the dust. And we will give You the glory. We will invite others to be a part of that. We will sing Your praises for all of our days.